Welcome to Activate Your Life. I am your host, Erin Esser, and I believe that life isn't a battleground. It's a playground of possibility where self-sabotage is transmuted into self-mastery. On this show, I share tools such as human design, astrology, inner child, and shadow work that help you disrupt your unconscious programming so that you can begin to experience the life that you desire. Don't forget to like, share, and hit the subscribe button to receive valuable information each week that will change your life. Thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to the Activate Your Life show. Today I'm here with Josh Magro. He is a psychotherapist, he's a self-mastery coach, and he's a motivational speaker. And we're going to be talking about a lot of uh, very deep topics today and very transformational, like just a very, uh, it can be sometimes dark, you know, sometimes people look at it as a dark topic, but it's definitely necessary um, in this road of self-growth and this journey of our own inner evolution. And so I just want to welcome you. I'm very excited about this conversation and thank you for coming on. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to do, glad to do it. Yeah. So, so Josh, why don't, you know, I found you, I was on your website a while back and, and there was just a lot of interesting things that you do. I mean, you work with, you know, teens, you are a speaker, like I mentioned, you're a self-mastery coach, you do so many different things, but what was it that led you to this point right now? Like in your life, like, how did you get to where, how did you get here? It's, it's not very many, I know for myself, you know, it was past things, past trauma, things like that. Right. And so we want to kind of make sense of these things. So what was your story? How did you get on this road of your own self-discovery? Yeah. So the, the sort of compact version of that is uh, I grew up in trauma. I grew up in uh, not the most delightful of childhoods. So both of my parents were addicts. Um, They uh, both use and abuse drugs and they also sold drugs. So I actually lived in a household that constantly had people in and out of it. Um, Yeah, just for lack of a better (laughs) description, I just experienced just about everything in terms of trauma. In terms of like the ACE score, adverse childhood experiences, I score a nine out of 10. Um, So I, I just early on, I think before the age of 10, I hit most of those categories in terms of physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, um, and, and all the sort of different pieces that come along with that. So Mm. the one thing that my parents did give to me that I don't know how they had the insight at the time to do this, but, um, my little brother died when I was eight years old. He actually died on my eighth birthday and just seeing how that impacted me and knowing that things were not okay. My parents sent me to therapy when I was eight years and I saw a lot of really bad therapists. And like from eight years old, I think until 14, 14 was when I found like a therapist that I actually like who took his time and like really earned my trust and like worked with me in between that time frame, I saw a lot of bad therapists, yeah. people who just, um, you know, everything from, you know, trying to like sort of motivate me just to live my life differently, um, mm-hmm. using sort of like canned techniques of trying to get me to open up all the way down to even religious counselors who told me that, you know, everything that my parents were doing was uh, the fault of the devil. And therefore I need to sort of give them a pass for lack of a better description, because this was out of their control as well as mine. And I just needed to sort of, you know, uh, submit to a higher power to some degree. Um, Luckily, even at the time when I was seeing that counselor, I was like, this feels like bullshit. <laughs> like I had enough wherewithal, even as a child to be like, this doesn't feel right at all. Wow. Um, so when I was 14, I found a therapist who, I mean, I walked into his office and I was shut down and reticent and resentful. <laughs> like I just wasn't doing anything. I'm like, I've been through this before. And he just took his time. And I think it was about three months of me playing the silent treatment and not really giving much of more than an inch every session and him just being patient and really working with me and really trying to take the time to get to know who I was. And that experience shifted everything for me. It was, um, it was the first time in my life I realized I actually had some control over what happened to me and I had some power in my life and I had the ability to change my circumstance. And he did it in a way that allowed me to feel empowered. Like I could take responsibility for what I was doing in my life. Well, it's interesting. A couple of things, if it's okay, I'd like to pause Mm -hmm. you there for a moment. A couple of things that you mentioned that, that I, that I recognized in that is the, the, and maybe we can talk about this too later, but the level of bypassing that I, you know, just not taking responsibility of not owning really what it was and, and then allowing other people to, like you're saying, to just kind of almost 
mm, it's okay. Like, let's just kind of put that over here and trust this higher power kind of yeah. thing, higher vision and trust the plan, maybe those kinds of things and, and how that's really, uh, yeah, that doesn't do anything. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, and it's, especially as a child, like we want to make sense of things. And so we're going to make a story out of it. If we're not, if we don't understand it and understand that, yeah, like these people aren't, aren't safe, but it doesn't mean that that's not your, that's not who you are. So let's not make the story around that, you know, yeah. and because kids will do that. Right. And so, um, and the canned techniques that you're saying, and just the pure motivation without the foundation, without the core, yeah. you know, uh, shifting in there, you know, which really is the shadow element inner child where, you know, all of those things that come with that. But um, the other thing too, that I really, that I, uh, I heard in that is that, the therapist or the counselor, when you were 14, he didn't do anything. He just heard you. He just was patient and allowed you to be seen and be heard. And the power of that and the difference between, it sounds anyways, like the people before that were trying to have a magic pill, maybe this recipe for how, just do this or do this and you'll be okay. Where this person was like, I'm not going to try to fix you. I just want to hear you and I want to see you and acknowledge your humanness and acknowledge who you are. So yeah. how powerful was that for you? Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I love the way that you described it. Like what I think about when you say that is almost like, like, don't be a tool bag, like a, like a bag of tools, a bag of like, don't be a collection of techniques as a, as a therapist or as a coach. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't know it at the time. I just knew it didn't work. I knew it didn't feel right. And absolutely right. Yeah. Just abandoning any form of technique or a specific style and saying, this is a human being sitting in, sitting in front of me. And I want to attend to that person. I want to be a human in the room with another human. And that's, that was the point. That was the motivation. That was the intention for that day. And something about that level of genuineness has always sat with me. And I mean, honestly, it was at that time at 14 years old that I realized I wanted to be a therapist. Mm. Like that was like a tipping point for me. And people are like, you were 14 when you knew you wanted to be, I was like, yeah. Yeah. Like that was the first experience where I realized, wow, people can really have an impact on another person in a positive way. And I want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So, so from 14 to, you know, uh, throughout what happened, I guess, throughout the rest of your teens, because at 14, I'm assuming you were still at home. Um, how was that, you know, yeah. now that you're having this almost a awakening to yourself process, it sounds like, and just understanding that you are your own sovereign self in some way, whatever that looks like right at 14. But how was that then? Did your home life shift in that way? I mean, or how did you show up in that possibly differently? Or or, or what was that like, I guess, for you? Yeah, I think at, at 14, it was almost like, like give a 14 year old who's brand new to autonomy, some sense of empowerment. And uh, it goes, <laughs> it goes everywhere. You know, it's like, um, so there's certain points where I really started to speak up for myself and I really started to own my own identity, but I was still horribly shy. I was still horribly shut down because I still had, as much as I was able to make a connection with that, that first therapist, I still had all this shame. I still had all of this stuff that I was carrying around with me. I realized I could do something about it, but what happened for me at that point was that it just so happened that it was around the time that my parents uh, had fully separated and divorced. And my mom was extremely codependent. And our relationship at that point was very much that of like, I was the parentified child. So I was taking care of my mother. I was doing the grocery shopping at times. I was um, sort of her emotional spouse in some ways. Yeah. So there were places where I was starting to realize I could take on extra responsibility. And that came in the form of me being a caretaker. Um, And and that that codependency pattern just like sort of roared in my life of like, cool, I can be a savior. I realized I wanted to be a therapist. So it's like, wow, there's a whole, there's a whole value system, dark as it may be, where I realize I can, I can gain value by being of service to others. So that's kind of how it, it took hold, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Like it was, it was a mixed bag, of course. Yeah, sure. So I found some level of purpose and I was still working out the kinks of what it was like to be my own person. So I got really into, I, I sort of stepped away from my family in the sense of like little by little, as much as I could create autonomy for myself yeah. and um, started volunteering a bunch, started doing a lot of different like teen groups. Mm. Um, I was living on my own at 17 by that point and um, started getting involved in like personal growth summer camps and that sort of thing. And that's really where like, I I started to find like, oh yeah, my, to back up, one of my favorite authors has a quote that says members of the same family rarely grow up under the same roof. 
and that just resonated so uh-huh. deeply for me because so true. yeah yeah i started finding these groups of people who were really dedicated mm. to just being their best authentic self and being honest and being genuine and, and sort of you know discarding these layers of armor that we picked up along the way and i found a family of some kind i found a place that i really felt like you know what i think i can belong here and it wasn't until that moment that i didn't realize like i finally realized how little i felt like i belonged in the world because it wasn't until that moment that i felt like oh, this, this is what warmth feels like. This is what connection, and this is what it's like to be part of a tribe. Mm-hmm. And being met with that need, finally getting mad, I was like, oh, this, this is what I've been searching for all my life. So that even probably really knowing it, right? Like on some level until you're in it. Is Certainly that- not being able to name it, not being able to point to yeah. it because I mean, how else, how else would we know? I'm like, if you grew up in a place where you never saw a polar bear and you finally see one, how would you describe it? It's like, holy shit, this is right. crazy. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Being overwhelmed by this experience of being surrounded by people who just genuinely love me for the purpose of loving me. No extra motivation, no manipulation, no narcissism, just you're a human being and you decided to show up and therefore we love you. And it was jarring to say the least. I mean, it was overwhelming, but even that took a couple of years for me to really like fully embrace and understand how it fit into my life. You know, I hear you in that. And and I feel like I've had those moments too. I mean, it's obviously different when y'all have experience or in it in our own way. However, those moments where people in my life, different times. I'm like, oh, I don't have to do anything. I just being me, I don't have to filter my words. I don't have to do anything else. And just my presence alone, like they, like I'm, I'm accepted. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm loved. And, and it's, it is, it's a interesting experience. And I feel like when, at least for myself, not understanding that and not experiencing that in my life. It's almost, I don't know if this is what your experience was on any level, but it's, it's like, can I trust this? Is this really, can I, it's, it's like wanting to, but then also pulling back at the same time and, and longing for that really wanting to, you know, believe that, but because of different things in my life, knowing, Oh, when is the other shoe going to drop? Like, is is act? I got really good at noticing fake yeah. fake behavior, surface, friendliness, all those things. But there was something different. It was like, and yeah. And so over the years, just different people coming though into my life that I'm like, oh, you know, this person, they're, they're just solid. They're a good fucking human being. And yeah. I can just let my guard down now and just be me and exhale. I always think of it as like, yeah. I can exhale here. And so I don't know, was that kind of like for you too? Cause it's, it's, it's an interesting experience. It's like, can I, I want to trust this, but Ooh, like I, I have not experienced this before. And yeah, it's, it's um, that experience in and of itself. I love the way that you described it. It's like, can I trust this? It's almost like, like, is, is this a cardboard cutout of connection or is it real? Like, is it a mirage? I, I'd say for me in that experience, probably because of my childhood and because of some of the beliefs I hadn't even addressed yet that were yeah. just operating underneath the surface. Uh, I didn't trust it. I knew I wanted it. Yeah. I knew it like called to me as a human being, yeah. but I didn't know if I deserved it. And yeah. I think that's the part that just eats mm-hmm. its way through our lives. So it did for me where, yeah. you know, there's two pieces to this. It's like one, I developed that skill set that you're describing of being able to like immediately identify when someone's not genuine. Yeah. Like point it from a mile away, narcissist, uh, manipulation, toxicity, gaslighting. I'm like, I could spot that (laughs) without a second glance, just an immediate sort of gut reaction. And yet when people genuinely love me, there was just this cloud of uncertainty about it and just never really fully trusting it. And it took me forever to really distinguish the difference between those two, that one of them was about being able to spot a behavior that I grew up around. But Mm. the other was about, I'm experiencing something I desperately want. And I'm terrified of opening myself up to it and having it ripped away. Like I already know how to operate starving. I already know how to live on a cracker a day. I don't need a full meal. And honestly, if I get the full meal, then I'm going to miss it. Then I'm going to, uh, you know, then I'm going to have to go through the the grief and the loss and the sort of detaching feeling of having it ripped away from me. So yeah, that's a really good way to describe it. Absolutely. Like a cracker to like a full meal. And then, yeah. So, you know, one of the things that you said though, and this could be a, a really nice segue, you know, you address the shame, you know, you mentioned that you had a lot of shame and, and, you know, this innate sense of like feeling like something is really wrong, right? Like something yeah. is innately wrong with 
me or something is innately wrong with you. You know, that, 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 that overwhelming sense of shame. Um, and how were you able then, you know, to, to be in this work, to be doing now and helping other people with this, how were you able to address that shame and get to those beliefs that you weren't worthy and all of those things that came up with it too? How were you able to get into those spaces so that you were fully able to receive a new way of connection with people? Yeah. I, I really wish I could say it was just like, and then I realized. (laughs) (laughs) And then I woke up one morning and yeah, it would have been on this piece uh, of paper in front of me. (laughs) It would make for such a clean and and concise story. Right. Um, No, I honestly, it took me forever. I'm I'm just so grateful that I started this process early on because it took me forever to realize it. So the thing that really shifted for me, one, I was I was starting to spend more and more time around people who are more genuine and more honest and more uh, integral in the way in which they live their lives. But it took me, I mean, I started doing the summer camps around 18 years old. It wasn't until I was 25 that I feel like I really like turned a corner on in terms of the internal shame. That, and so like, how did that happen? I think pieces of it were like small pieces of adopting like a new way of living my life. Okay, I'm going to be a little bit more honest. Okay, I'm going to confront some of my relationships. I'm going to try to have a little bit more boundaries here and there. Yeah. Um, part of that change was me coming out of my shell and challenging myself to be more outgoing. And, and like, I'm going to just be more of a person here. So when I was 25, I got to participate in the, uh, the workshop that I'm now a co-owner of. Uh, personal power and prosperity. Okay. I went through the workshop and like, even at that moment, even with all the growth I had done, it completely shifted my life. Wow. Now, one of the things that helped it shift my life was that when I was walking into that workshop, I knew that I needed something really big to change. I didn't know what, but I just had this sort of like internal feeling of like, man, something has got to shift. And I'm, I'm feeling myself kind of wearing like an old suit that doesn't fit anymore. It's like, I'm wanting to shed this, just didn't know how. So the biggest thing that happened for me in that workshop was not necessarily the the instructors who lead it or even any of the content that happened. It was being surrounded by an entire community of people who were loving me bigger than I hated myself. Just being flooded with it and and being lovingly confronted on the bullshit stories I was telling myself. And I actually had an opportunity in this workshop where I was standing in front of an an entire room. I think there was like 75, 80 people in the room total. Uh, And I'm standing in front of the room and they're just sort of like, like processing me through this piece. And I'm, (laughs) I'm fighting for my limitations, right? I'm arguing for how I'm just not good enough. And, And I fear that it still brings up emotion when I talk about it now. It's just like I'm, I'm arguing with a group of people about how I don't deserve love. And the first piece of that shame that I, I was feeling at the time was like, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who is really as bad as I truly fear. Like there's something wrong with, there's something off about who I am as a person, as a soul, as whatever. And in this room of 70 people or more, and like one of the instructors said, how many people in this room feel just like Josh does? And everyone raises their hand. Wow. Wow. And that, like that moment, it just, it, it's, it's buried in my brain forever. Yeah. Like that moment of feeling like I, okay, hold on a second. This, this doesn't match anything I've ever believed about myself. If I get really deep and honest with what I like the darkest part of me, this, this doesn't make any sense. And, and I had this sort of confrontation with that feeling of like, the chances of every single person in this room lying to me right now are very, very like slim to none. There's a chance that maybe they're all telling the truth or at least most of them. And that coupled with the fact of like, I felt like this my whole life. And I know that all of these people are lovable. I know that they're worthy. I know that there's nothing they could tell me about themselves that would make me love them any less. So maybe that's true for me. And there was just this like experience of like in my mind, the way that I processed it at the time was like, maybe this isn't true anymore. Maybe it never was. And maybe, and I keep saying maybe because I needed this for my brain. Otherwise I wouldn't have been able to accept it. But I'm just like, just maybe this has been a lie. And if I decide to change this, maybe if I just live my life as if I am lovable, there's really no consequence associated with it. Like no one will get hurt. No one will, I'm I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna unleash some type of evil inside of me if I let my guard down. Like maybe I am just a good person. You know, you said something just powerful there and I'm getting emotional even listening to you too. Cause I know exactly like I, I, I hear you in that and been through like, what if all of this is a lie? And, and I love the line you just said, maybe, and I just tried to write it down so I don't forget it, but maybe if I live my life as if I am lovable, 
you know, there's no consequence. Like, what if, what if I could live yeah. my life? How would my life change? Right. How would, and so, okay. So, cause I mean, that's incredibly powerful because then when you show up, I'm, I'm guessing you started little by little to show up for yourself in a whole new way. When you asked yourself that question, right. Honestly, at that point, it wasn't even little by little. It was just, it was, it was drastic. And I think it was because I I had been waiting for, I don't know why this brings up so much emotion as I say it, but like, I was, I was just waiting for the world to give me permission. Like that's, that's the, the piece that was missing. And it's like, I felt such like in a struggle with the world. And I just, I think I knew deep down that it wasn't supposed to be that way, that it had to be easier. It had to be better than what I was currently living. And going through that experience and being surrounded by people who are all just like cheering me on. I'm like, you know what, even if this is wrong, at least I have this group. At least I have a a crowd of people who are saying, you know what, just go for it. Just be who you want to be. And and getting that sense of like someone else co-signing what it was that I was trying to do with my life. It, it just gave me that last little bit of permission. And it's funny, my, my now wife, then girlfriend, Mm-hmm. We had just started dating before I took this workshop and, and I wasn't taking the relationship seriously at all. I was like, I just got out of a long relationship. I'm not trying to do this. And uh, I go to this workshop and I come back and coming back from one weekend, mm-hmm. she's like, what did you do? Where did you go? You are different. She's like, there is something to, she spotted it immediately. And even at the time I'm like, ah, oh, it's just, it's no big deal. It's just this workshop I did this past weekend. And I didn't even tell, I didn't even tell her what it was initially. She actually <laughs> she had it. to research it and she mm-hmm. looked it up and found it for herself. And then she signed up for it like a couple of months later. And that honestly, that was sort of the beginning of where our relationship intensified because we both sort of realized there was more to each of us than what we currently thought. And our whole relationship kind of blossomed around that. But everything about that weekend, it just sort of gave me permission to say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm done playing small. I'm done holding myself back. Like I would love to experience the consequence of living full out loud. And so from that point forward, I started like, speaking i mean like if you saw me going into this workshop i used to speak with like this six inch voice and i was really quiet and i would like like always look i was just so shut down yeah. and like you could like like when i walk into a room it's like a black hole like you could just feel the lack of energy of me showing up and and i realized like i don't need that anymore like i don't need that to protect myself or to stay out of the spotlight so i started like in my college courses, I started like being the first person to volunteer and like jumping in and we're at a coffee shop and they have like an open mic. And I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Let me do like a Mitch Hedberg impression. And like, and just doing things I'd never did before because I'm like, well, what's the worst that can happen? If I am lovable, then everything will be fine. And I just kept testing out this theory and doing little experiments like this, where it's like, what happens if I really put myself out there? The consequence actually isn't that big. I already know what it feels like to be embarrassed. I already know what it feels like to be ostracized by the people around me. I know what it feels like to not be loved. That doesn't even really scare me anymore. Mm. What happens if I am loved? That seems attractive. That seems interesting. So yeah, I mean, you couldn't stop me after that. It's like, I finally got a taste of like what it was to just feel like I belonged on this planet. And like, from that point forward, I just kept challenging it. Can you imagine if you hadn't had that experience? And, you know, I just, I think about this too, in my own life. And, you know, it's sometimes it's a daily, you know, it's not daily, but there's times there's days that I do have to talk to myself. I have to like be that parent and be like, Aaron, you got it. It's okay. It's okay. You know, and really learning to reparent, you know, myself over, you know, the, however long, you know, and, and it's a, it's a continuous process, but you know, the lives that, I've been able to touch just for being me and showing up like, what if, what if I'm supposed to be like showing people too that they are lovable. Like you're saying that they are, they have a purpose to fulfill here in this lifetime. And what if they just gave themselves a chance? And the thing that I think is so powerful. And I, I feel that the, that the people out doing these things like, like you and like myself and other people that I know that have the greatest strength are the ones who've gone through the deepest you know, darkest moments of their life where it's easier to, like you were saying, to hide and it's easier in, in, you know, for those times um, to do that and to let other people know and to be real, you know, and to be like, you know what? Yeah. Sometimes life fucking sucks. I mean, it just does. Sometimes there's days that are really shitty. And in the end, if we go through it and, you know, 
give ourselves love and compassion and grace through it all versus shaming ourselves. That's what I used to do all the time. Oh my gosh. And you know, it's, it's like, then I wonder what else is possible here. I wonder how else we could, you know, how, how we could show up in a different way for ourselves that will impact everybody around us. You know, I have three kids and, you know, I use, I utilize human design and astrology as well when I'm working with my clients, just to give them an accurate mirror of like, this is who you are. This is who you are. Now let's, let's work on accepting all of these pieces of yourself so you can really embody all these parts of yourself as well. And for me, it was life-changing. I I'm emotionally defined. I'm not sure if you're familiar with human design, but um, I'm emotionally defined in, in human design, which means I go through some really deep emotional waves. Yeah. And there were definitely times growing up and like through college in my twenties that I thought if I went to a doctor right now, like, and told them my symptoms, I'd be like put on some meds pretty quick, you know, and like (laughs) (laughs) the high highs and like the low lows and just sometimes the swing and, and then shaming myself in that, in that process of like, what is wrong and trying to find a reason for something to be wrong and then taking it out on people around me, you know, whether it was my kids or, or, you know, my partner at the time or whatever it was, or, you know, just whatever was there to, to to take it out on. And, and then having to, once my wave was through, I'd have to go clean up that mess. And then the shame and the guilt that came with that as well. And, you know, and there's beliefs that are underneath all that too. But when I finally started to learn and accept like, Oh, you know, these pieces of myself that I shamed myself for, for so long. Cause you know, I grew up with a parent that was incredibly emotional and very passive aggressive, very emotionally, um, not safe and, you know, learn to recognize those things. And I'm like the biggest thing I never wanted to do that to anybody. And then I found myself doing the same thing, you know? Yeah. And so then realizing like, okay, how can I work with this then? How can I work with this way? If there's nothing actually wrong with me, how can I navigate now through this energy so that I can use it to like, to benefit me versus to like get sucked on or, you know, get taken down, you know, with the wave and take everybody down with me. So I feel that the self-acceptance and reparenting ourselves and really the self-knowledge and grace and all of that with it, you know, with it is so powerful and we have to have it or, or it's going to be like the therapists and counselors that you went to from eight up until 14 of these tool, all these tools, but like, does it really, not really the, the knowing to just sit and to really listen and to hear, and then to ask questions maybe too, or to, you know, to really like allow that to activate that person's soul and spirit within versus trying to fix. I don't, I am of, of the belief that nobody needs to be fixed. We just need to decondition some programs, you know, some, some, some patterns, programs that we've been instilled with, you know, within our lives, these beliefs, all these things. And so when we go through life thinking that we have to be fixed or there's something wrong with us, can we be fixed? It's like, that's where the shame lies then. Like, please fix because I'm not okay. I need this guru or this, whatever, this program to fix me because deep down I'm truly, something is really wrong. Yeah. I'm broken. Therefore I need to be fixed. Yeah. There's something inadequate. There's something missing. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that, that is so powerful because honestly, if I had to boil down my work as a therapist, as a coach, working with people over the years, if I had to boil down the commonality between every single person I've ever worked with, it's that everyone carries some form of that core limiting belief, some version of it. You know, we add, we add our own sort of personal spin to it in terms of how it manifested in our life, but almost every single person I've ever encountered has, has had something along the lines of, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm insufficient. I'm broken. I'm damaged. And, and you, you're the, you're the person to save me, save me, use another tool, use another technique. And not that tools and techniques aren't valuable, but if you don't know why you're using them, if you don't know like the reason and the, what the, you know, it, there's, there's that concept of knowing the path because I walked it. Like I can only take someone as far as I've gone. So Absolutely. like, I, I, I'm, I realize that therapists, especially where there's this like joke of like therapists become therapists so they can get enough therapy. Yeah. Like I truly <laughs> believe that because otherwise it'd just be insanely expensive, but yes, there's that piece of it. But also I, I do agree that the best therapists I've ever encountered in my entire life are the ones who walk through fire to get there. The ones that have, you know, gone through their own process, that concept that like through adversity, we meet ourselves, you know, Mm -hmm. that idea. It's like, we need people who know what it feels like, not necessarily every single form of trauma, but you need to know what it feels like to have your life ripped apart. 
to feel like there's no reason to live and and know that there's <laughs> that's not a period after that. Yeah, absolutely. And and yeah. you know, I think that's when we start to really embrace and understand empathy. You know, when we can like yeah. when we're doing that with ourselves, and then we can understand and just really hold space for that person and not try to change anything. It's just literally yeah. like creating that space where they can show up, share who they are, and or nothing as much as they are, you know, or nothing. And I love what you said about the tools. Uh, I'm in a class right now where I'm teaching and about human design and conditioning going through our centers. We have like nine centers and where we're prone to conditioning so that we can start to disrupt these patterns and start to pay attention and bring, you know, the unconscious to the conscious. And I first class, I was like, listen, because as a teacher, as, you know, a coach, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, you know, we project onto these, you know, people, it's like, oh, okay, you know, let's, this person's going to fix me, you know, like we were saying, I, I go right out and I'm like, I'm only here to facilitate this. That's it. All I'm here to do. Like you are the ones like that you have been waiting for. You are the only ones that can heal yourself. I'm only here to give you the tools, but you must use them. And they're only tools. That's it. Don't like be the tool, use the tool for what it was designed for. And then when you're done, that's the thing. When you build a house, right? You don't need a hammer the whole time. Sometimes you need maybe a drill or whatever. Put down the tool when it's time to put down that tool. The tool is not your savior. The tool is a, is a, is a tool along the journey. And at some point it might have to be put down. And, you know, I, I like, there's a a, a story in the Buddha and and I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to just say it how I remember hearing it. It's the raft. And I'm not sure if you know what I'm talking about, but um, it's an inappropriate use of a raft would be when you're crossing a river, right? You need it to cross the river, but if you were to get to the other side of the river and hold it over your head and continue the journey with this, right? Like that's not, it's not an appropriate use of that raft. And I think we all get to those places in our journey where we're like, wait a minute, am I still holding these things? And we can, you know, put that in the, in the lens of even beliefs, right? I needed this belief for a time in my life. When is, when do we need to let this go at, at one point in time, these, these now beliefs that are limiting at some point served us. We needed these beliefs. They were an ally for us, but if we carry them into our adulthood and want to shift, we can't, we've got to put these beliefs down. But, you know, I, I firmly believe that it's, I'm one for giving gratitude for these beliefs. You know, a lot of times people will be like, just, you know, get rid of them, kick them to the curb and all these things. I'm like, no, like give it gratitude. And I always suggest to my clients too, and I would like to get your feedback on this. I always suggest, you know what, write a letter to this belief or journal or have a conversation and, and tell it it's there to protect you. I mean, that's the heart of that belief. It's like, it's thinking it's going to protect you. And it's trying to like protect you, but just say, I don't, I don't need you anymore now though. I'm okay without you. And to be able to have compassion for why it's there, but acceptance of that belief will allow it to believe too versus trying to fight against the belief and shame ourselves then for having these beliefs. I see that so much within the spiritual community and, you know, just this, this whole community of, of self-healing of shaming the ego, shaming the beliefs that versus having compassion and gratitude. It got us to where we're at now. It's just time a tool. We just need to put it down now. Hey, this is Aaron Esser, and I really hope that you are enjoying this show. I wanted to ask you this question. Imagine what your life could be like if you knew your purpose. I work with astrology and human design as tools of activating your life. I'm able to pinpoint specifically where in your life are your challenges and limitations, and then also be able to pinpoint where your dharma is, where your freedom is, where your liberation is, what your purpose is in this lifetime. For more information on my karma to dharma readings that dramatically shift people's lives, head to my website, erinusser.com, or you'll find the link below. Now back to the show. Well, so much of what you're suggesting is self-acceptance, like like radical, unabashed self-acceptance. And, and the need for that is, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like that concept of criticism and shame as being a motivator. Like I'm going to whip myself into shape with, through self-flagellation and criticism. Yeah. It, one, it doesn't work because we're really resilient as human beings. Like my pain threshold goes up the more I endure. So mm-hmm. what most people don't realize is that they beat up on themselves and then they get used to it. So then the 
effectiveness of the criticism isn't good. So then it has to, like that part of you has to now turn up the volume and make it even more vicious in order to get you to move. And this whole thing is like, if I could just lash you hard enough, you're going to move forward. The intention with that is beautiful. I'm like, this part of me is motivated to help me succeed and help me move forward. It's just the strategy it uses is not effective. And a couple pieces with this is such a good topic too. Like that level of self-acceptance that I can embrace and understand that there's a part of me that is operating for my benefit. It's trying to protect me. It's trying to help me succeed. It's trying to help me survive. And the way in which it's doing that, that could use some tightening up. There's, there's something about the strategy. The overall desire, the need is always good. Yeah. It's always protective. The way in which it goes about doing it, oh, that's something I can, you know, I can assess the behavior and say, oh, that's not a really great behavior. Like I'll probably tighten that up a little bit. Maybe right. I should stop yelling at people when I'm mad and like, see if I can process a little deeper and see what's underneath right. it and, you know, <laughs> work together and that sort of, oh, that's harder. Yeah. You you bet your ass it's harder. Oh, okay. I guess it's worth it. Like, you know, maybe I'll get a payoff associated with it, better relationships. But the bigger implications of that level of self-acceptance is that we are then able to accept others. We're less likely to criticize others. We're less, less likely to fear others. Yes. You know, so much of using my own experience, like when we talk about this self-acceptance and you know, we're talking about this concept of the shadow and like what's unconscious and what's outside of our own realm. I grew up with narcissists. I grew up with toxic relationships. And for the longest time, if you would have called me narcissistic or even selfish, I would have gotten so triggered. I'm like, how could you, how could you say that about me? I do so much good. And I'm always trying. And I would have been so defensive about it because that's a wound because I fear that that might be true. And the really hard part about this is it wasn't until I was able to realize I can be narcissistic. I can be really selfish and I can be really self-centered. And that's just something that shows up in my life. And truly, just as you're saying, it has benefit. There's a value associated with it, you know, and we, we can easily criticize ourselves and criticize others based on these tiny little pieces that we see within them. And it just creates more separation. It just creates more dysfunction, but being able to acknowledge like the difference between a vice and a virtue is intensity. Can you explain that a little bit? Like, like selfishness in, in, in excess shows up as, you know, self-centered and, 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 you know, myopic and, and over, you know, choosing my needs over the needs of others and, and, you know, manipulation and, and power versus, you know, force versus power, that kind of stuff. Their power over, yeah, type of. Yeah, exactly. But selfishness in the sense of self-preservation, making sure that I'm not self-sacrificing, making yes. sure that I'm standing up for myself and setting boundaries and confronting the injustices in the world. That's healthy. That's, you that's know, an intact self. And if I don't have enough of that, then I show up as codependent yeah. and self-sacrificing. And I'm going to do the savior role and do the whole drama triangle thing. And, and then I become very, you know, it's manipulative in a completely opposite way. Absolutely. Let me see if I can earn your trust by doing a bunch of shit for you. And then you owe me. Yeah. I'm not going to show up as myself. Yeah. I will change my own behavior to make you love yeah. me, but I'm not really being real and transparent and authentic because yeah. I'm still trying to control the situation. But like you said, in a different way, you know, yeah. in a different energy or a similar energy, just different ways of going about it. And I, I love to, what I hear you saying in this too, is the duality. It's the selfishness there's a fine line, right? Because it's not an either or and an either or response, yeah. black, white, either or up, down, right, wrong is a, is a trauma response. And so when we can yeah. go, oh yes. And this is the thing with the more we delve into our own shadow, it's like with my daughter, some, she's 16 and there's times where her siblings have said like, you're so selfish and, and all of these things. And but the thing I've asked her, I'm like, okay, like when they tell you that, like it, it bothers her when they say, and she gets defensive and, and whatnot. I'm like, you know what though? Sometimes it's okay to be selfish because sometimes yeah. like if you can't give what you don't have. And so just, just take a look at inside of you, ask yourself, do I need this right now for me in order to be able to give from like an overflow or am I hoarding? So there's a difference. And so it's like, yes. And it's, it's the yes. Yeah. And versus the either this or this or, and, and because there's a, you know, even the state that we're in, in the world, it's, it's like, this shaming of is individual rights or the collective, right? I see this yeah. battle between me or them. Well, what if it can be both? 
both. What if, what if our own, and which is the highest level of the, you know, the whole Aquarian energy that we're in, in right now. And it's how can I understand and know myself so much that I can be grounded in myself for the benefit of the community, but not to lay down my life for the community though, either. Like there's a, there's a fine line between there. And so when we can see the, we can bridge the, the duality that is wholeness I feel. And that is when we get the bigger picture where we can look and say, okay, this is, I see this and I also see this. And that is when healing starts to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're absolutely right that this sense of duality and the the context of being able to embrace what is with some level of acceptance, understanding that, yeah, I can have some dark qualities about me. I can be selfish. I can be, you know, uh, sort of over-involved in who I am. I can be aggressive, you know, and and at what level is that okay? And what is it not okay? Yeah. That concept of the collective versus the individual. It's like those go together. (laughs) It's, it's almost like very simplistic logic that you can't have an outside without an inside. You can't have the group without the individual and vice versa. So this understanding that it's sort of a spectrum of experience. Yes. The micro informs the macro and the macro just reflects back to the micro and the group doesn't even exist without the individual, like you're saying, you you know, and so it all goes together. And when we start to separate it out, that is when, you know, I mean, that's just, that's when confusion sets in. That's when, you know, we, that's, yeah, that's just not, it's not a healthy response to to anything. It's, It's like even myself, you know, as a female, you know, the whole idea of being, you know, a bitch and whatnot, you know, comes out and, and there's times though, that, you know, that I've had to stand up for my kids and where somebody would say, boy, you're being a bitch. Yep. I am because I need to right now and it's appropriate right now. So, but it's not appropriate for me to be a bitch. If I'm going to go and get a coffee, like at the local coffee shop, right. And they, maybe they put in the wrong milk or something and it was an accident. If I freaking like lay out and that's not an appropriate use of that energy. Right. But like, if my kid's getting bullied at school and which just happened literally like a few months ago and they admit they weren't doing anything about it. It was just, that is when I can show up with that energy and say, no, this is not okay so it's it's understanding and accepting like it's it's the whole thing goes back to self-acceptance and accepting all of our qualities anger is okay how are we using it being you know being selfish is okay how are we using that you know it's just self-awareness it's understanding accepting all of these parts of ourselves and then having awareness of like well how am i using this energy is right now you know an appropriate use of this energy and there's times that when it's not it's not and then we go oh my god okay i need to out right now like <laughs> well and and also that that kind of a response like i'm using this type of energy and it's not uh appropriate it's hit the system well then not shaming myself for that fact right i don't have to like like oh i'm being an awful horrible fucker of a yeah. person and now i now now i don't deserve love and now i don't deserve acceptance right. and that sort of thing it's like no i got angry and that's okay yeah like wow i'm really reacting to this situation you know the response to this ought to be curiosity exactly as opposed to contempt you know yes. I, I can i can look at a situation and say god i really lost my shit on that person and i can at least have a little bit of awareness and curiosity about the fact that my emotional reaction was disproportionate to the situation i wonder if i'm dealing with something else here i wonder, I wonder if i've got like maybe the pile under the rug got really big and I'm, I'm now having to clean it up and it's like okay that's that's not a bad thing I can take you know responsibility for the way that my actions have shown up how they hurt others and then I can still attend to myself without beating up on myself in the process. Absolutely. No, I absolutely. And, you know, and that really brings me to this topic of, you know, you, your self-mastery coach and my purpose too, as I have self-mastery in mind where, you know, I don't believe life needs to be a battleground. It can be a playground of possibility. And that's when we start to transmute, you know, self-sabotage into self-mastery and, I, I view those self-mastery and I would like to get your definition of how you, you know, what you define self-mastery as, but you know, well, self-mastery is just, this is exactly what we're talking about. It's not perfection where it's not this idea because that doesn't even exist anyway. Right. And, and when we expect perfection, that is when a lot of shame I feel is living in the background underneath. And it's this, this idea of self-awareness and going in and dealing with these things and getting in with curiosity. I'm a big one on questions of like, like you're saying, like when we lose our shit on somebody like, Oh, I, I wonder what else is going on here. Like, I wonder yeah. why did I like, what's coming up for me right now? Why did I like react like that? And just get so curious and bring in just a high level of self-awareness with using like expansive questions that allows us to, you know, versus like these restrictive questions and demeaning questions. There's, 
there's, you know, there's a difference in tone between like, you know, what's wrong with me versus like, gosh, I wonder what else could be going on here right now that it would allow me to act like that, you know, <laughs> and then yeah. just, and then just be real with ourselves. But just, again, it goes back to even the reparenting ourselves too. And like, what would a loving mother or a loving father do with her child? You know, it'd be like, Hmm, yeah. what's going on here, kiddo? Is there something that we need to maybe talk about or something that we need to like, take a look at here and it's okay, but you know, having grace and compassion. And so anyways, and that was a long, you know, thing, but I would like to hear since you're a self-mastery coach, what does that mean for you? Like, what do you, what is, what is your intention? I guess, when you coach somebody, what do you hope that they will, um, that they will start to see within themselves that you could define as self-mastery? I think the simplest answer I could provide for that is to have profound and intimate relationship with every part of you Mm. and and with an emphasis on the every part. Everything. Because I think that's that's one of the things that most people are struggling with is that they have not been able to include and integrate what they would consider the darkest parts of them. And and it's such a disservice to ourselves because because of shame, because of the way that we push things out of our, our mind. And, and we, you know, there's certain parts of ourselves that we just exile to the basement of who we are and we lock the door. And they're screaming up at us. They're constantly wanting to be a part of this. But it's like, no, you're too volatile. You're too violent. You're too dark. You're too evil. We, we put this indictment on those parts of us. And what we end up doing is we sacrifice all the power that they could add to our lives. Uh, like for me, the long, for the longest time I spent not wanting to be that guy, that guy that talks over people, that guy that does you know uh, power over and, and manipulation and narcissism. And it's just a, like beating my chest kind of thing. So what I did is I went the opposite direction and I tried to be as selfless and as passive and as you know sort of acquiescing as I possibly could. Yeah. And, and I cut myself off from this massive place of power where I got to actually stand up for myself. I got to stand up for others when it was appropriate. I got to be powerful in a way that left space for other people to be powerful. Mm-hmm. And what I had to do was confront this ugly part of me that I would call narcissism or, ju- or, or selfishness or, or, you know, big headedness or whatever it was and realize that it, it's valuable. You know, there, there's the, the dragon has power. And when we can have a relationship with it, then it's with us. It shows up on our behalf. You know, like I'm a therapist. I could probably eviscerate someone just with words. Yeah. Like after ta- just knowing a little bit about someone, I know where the kinks in the armor are and I could probably, yeah. and it's like this idea of like, no, 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 I could never do that. I'm harmless. No, I'm not. I, I could, I could destroy someone if I really set my intentions there. Sure. And I think it's important to acknowledge that because I hold some level of respect for that level of power. Yeah. I could do it. And I don't. I like that. <laughs> it's not yeah. that I walk around, you know, defenseless. No, I've got a sword and I keep it sheathed. And yep. that is a level of my own sort of self-respect and self-reverence that I could do this and I don't. I choose to use the strengths I have for things that feel good, that feel life affirming. Mm-hmm. And that kind of self-respect allows us to know that we can sort of contend with the world in such a better way. I love that. And what comes up for me when you're saying that is really, it's like the true path of the warrior, the true warrior, you know, the warrior doesn't walk around throwing his sword around at everything, right? It, It, he or she knows when and is confident and doesn't need to pull the sword out all the time, but when it's appropriate, it's appropriate. He or she, they won't apologize for it. Yeah, I think it, uh, one of my favorite quotes that when I was growing up was from Teddy Roosevelt: "Is uh, speak softly and carry a big stick." Mm, yeah, and and this idea of like just know that you have the capability yeah. to contend. You know, if you think about you know people who are like black belts in, in karate and and you know mm-hmm. they don't walk around kicking the shit out of everyone, mm-hmm. <laughs> like because they develop the skill. In fact, they are less likely. Yeah. Because they realize, one, they have the power. So they walk around some, with some degree of confidence. There's not fear, apprehension, or anything to prove. Yeah, They it's understand the power of that. And then they're, they're more likely to refrain themselves because they know the gravity of that power. Yeah. They know that they could really harm someone. So it only comes out when it's absolutely necessary. That intimate self-knowledge, I think, is what's vital in order to say that I am not a master of myself in the way that I control myself, right? I don't control my emotions. I'm in relationship to them. Oh, I love that. I have a really good relationship with my anger. So it communicates with me when a boundary has been crossed. It communicates with me and tells me, hey, you need to stand up for yourself. This was not okay. There's an injustice in the world that needs your attention. And it's like, oh, thank you for telling me. Thank you for that that wave of, of rage that just came up because now I know that this moment right now is not okay and I need to do something about it. I love that. They're messengers. 
Yeah. Messenger. You're saying it's about relationship with all these parts of yourself. Yeah. And a relationship has love, right? Like, you have to, like I, I love my anger. I love my sadness, like deep, deep grief. It's like, what you want to cry? It's like, I don't want to cry all the time, but you know, like I grieve the loss of my little brother on a regular basis. It's like, this was years. I was eight years old. This is years ago. And it's like, no, that, that there's a bittersweet quality to that. And you know, something about what we people term negative emotions is like, that's the, the, the color that's the adding dimension and resolution to life. You know, most people try to live their lives in this weird sort of neutrality of no peaks, no valleys. And it's like, no, I want sadness and I want insane happiness. You know, I want to laugh in a way that makes a sound and shakes my belly. Therefore, I need to cry in a way that makes a sound and shakes my belly. Like, like I cry with my whole body. I get angry with my whole body. I can feel the emotions fully because all of them deserve a seat on the bus. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I love that. And it's so it's... It's just, it's the truth of like when we're in relationship with ourselves and, and intimately knowing ourselves, being so intimate yeah. with ourselves that we can go to these spaces, we can be with ourselves, we can be by ourselves when we need to, we can be with others when we need to, and we know when to retreat and when to, you know, we just, yeah, know all these places to be able to know how to show up for ourselves and whatever we're needing in that time. Yeah. And that's incredibly powerful. And I, and I feel like that is just to, like you're saying about crying. Yeah, it's amazing to cry and it's this bittersweet. You don't want to cry all the time, but you know when it's appropriate to cry. It's bridging. It's like when we can bridge the duality and yeah. then we understand, then we're in relationship. I'm just thinking yeah. about that. When we bridge, the, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like when we bridge that, that is actually relationship right there because then we know we're in relationship to when it's appropriate to be here and there and anywhere yeah. in between. And we don't have to be like, I have to be over here. And I, and I, and I hate everything, anything that's over there and anything that's trying to pull me over there because then we're just in battle all the time. We're just like wielding our sword to everything. Yeah. And, and that, that concept of being in relationship to our emotions is the same thing that shows up in coupleship and in in romantic relationships. It's like, there's this saying, I think it's from uh, getting the love you want. It's like conflict is growth trying to happen. Mm. And and whenever we're in conflict with something, it means that the relationship is not what it could be. You know, it, it's not fair of me with my wife to say, you need to be more like me. You need to plan things the way that I do. You need to think about problems the way that I do. Organize your day as I do. It's like, no, we have to be in balance with each other. You have information that I can learn from and vice versa. There's that bridging the gap, as you're saying, that absolutely needs to happen. Mm which also gives a sort of, you know, window into where we need to grow the most. It's like, if I'm not doing my romantic relationship well, Mm -hmm. it's probably because there's a lot of unhealed stuff on my part. There's stuff I'm not willing to embrace. There's stuff that I cannot yet accept or that I can't contend with yet because it's just too volatile. So I take it out on the person that I'm closest to. Yeah. Or if I get triggered by people in my day-to-day life. Yeah. If I see someone doing something and I go, ugh, God, like I feel that contempt, that like animosity toward them, or I just start judging them, it's because they have a quality that I own and I don't want. Absolutely. Easier to project it onto you and just hate it to the end of the it's, earth than yeah. to acknowledge, oh yeah, <laughs> me then too. To, yeah. Then to hold that like uncomfortableness. And I'm like that with my kids. I do some parent coaching as well. And, and our kids are, are, can be our greatest freaking growth activators if oh, we allow my it. God, yeah. Right. And yeah. like one of the things I realized is when my daughter was 14, so it was a couple of years ago. Um, I kind of, and I learned this by kind of by accident, just by talking. That's how I learn things. I, I mean, I, I like, and I absorb information gotcha. and, and whatever, and then I have to experience it and live it out and whatever, and just experience, you know, experience it and experiment. And, and I, I remember talking to a client, I'll go back to my daughter here in just a minute, but like, I remember talking to a client about four years ago, five years ago. And at that time she had um, two twin boys and they were five years old and she was having such a hard time. And with one of them, especially, and so, cause they're so different. So she was sharing with me the qualities of both. And then I just asked her, I was like, what was going on with you when you were around five? Do you remember? And, and it was, she went through a very traumatic time. Um, her mother had died and, and like her grandfather had like was taking care of her and was like basically praising her for not crying, for not being emotional. And so her, one of her five-year-olds was very emotional and like, almost explosive emotional. And she had no idea how to handle that. And I'm like, that makes sense. Like year five, that's part of you was shut down when you were five. And now he's trying to activate that within you. And so to be able to like, like 
bring back that part of yourself that was fragmented, you know? Yeah. And, and the same thing happened when my daughter was 14. I, uh, I was just noticing I was really frustrated and bitter towards her on different things. Like she had the, I've raised my kids with, they can talk to me how they want to talk to me and they can be honest. And even if it doesn't sound pretty, like I welcome that because it's real and it's authentic. Yeah. And, and, um, and I want them to be in that space. But I noticed with my daughter, I was really having a hard time with it. And I, I realized one day with, after talking with a dear friend of mine, I'm like, this is my 14 year old coming out this fragmented part of myself at 14 that I didn't have the freedom to be able to talk to my mom the way she's the way I've given my daughter the freedom to talk to me. And so it was this part of myself that was very resentful towards my 14 year old. And it wasn't my conscious higher self, but it was this battle, this, this part of me that needed to be integrated back in, but I hadn't recognized that until I did, because we don't know what we don't know. Right. Until we know it, until we're aware of it. And so, so just knowing that and, and, showing up for my kids in that way of like, okay, what are the things that annoy me so much with them and allow them to annoy me and not pretend that they don't, but then get curious, you know, curiosity is huge and, and it's such a powerful tool, but generally there's usually something going on, you know, within me or at that age even too. So, um, you know, anyway, I just, it's, it's powerful. All of our relationships are such mirrors and tools, such agents of growth. If we, yeah, it's a, it's a complete hall of mirrors, everything that we do. And, and, you know, a lot of what we talked about so far is identifying negative qualities, but, you know, Carl Jung had this concept of the golden shadow as well, which is just as much as I can project all the negative qualities that I choose not to acknowledge in myself, I also project all the positive. Yeah. And like, if you think of someone who you consider to be a mentor or just like a, a model human being, someone you admire and look up to, and then describe all the attributes about that person, those are, you are now describing things that you fail to own within yourself. Absolutely. And like, there's a distancing that happens with that. So like, there's value in being able to even look at like, what are the parts of me that I choose not to acknowledge that are actually bolstering who I am and that, that are acknowledging the power that I really do have, the confidence that I can have, the effectiveness in the world. I love that. And, and yes, I, I, I did an exercise, I remember a few years back on that. And I was, Tony Robbins is one guy that I just, I love yeah. his energy and I love all of that. And I started like listing all these things that I love about him and how inspirational he is and how he can command a room and like really get people like inspired to take action like for themselves. And, and I'm like, oh, I actually have that power than me because I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and how liberating that is to, to see that. And to, so we can stop giving our power away. You know, that's, yeah. like, let's start reclaiming our power, whether it's uncomfortable or whether it's, it's still uncomfortable if that too, because it's like, Ooh, how do I really own this power? Right. That's hard for, for a yeah. lot of us to be able to do that, especially when we're trying to move through a lot of shame and things like that. And, but like, just all in all, whether we, it's light shadow, dark shadow, all the shadow parts of ourselves, bringing it home so that we can really integrate all of these pieces of ourselves. And, you know, it goes back to what you're saying about self-mastery. Like it's not just the negative parts, all of the parts, all of the beautiful parts, yeah. and they're all beautiful. Even the things that we maybe judge as negative, it's yeah. all beautiful because it's all part of us. So how can we show up in that way for ourselves in the fullest of ways? Cause it's the only way we're going to activate anybody else around us. So if we show up in yeah. full integrity with all of who we are. Yeah. And I think one of the easiest uh, ways to kind of sabotage ourselves in that process is expecting it to feel comfortable or to feel easy. Like you mentioned like that, like owning our power is uncomfortable. It's like, you're going to experience discomfort. That's, that's the global unifier. doesn't matter if you play small or you play big, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's just one of the distinctions to make is when do I pay for that discomfort? Because a lot of times, you know, in the workshops that we do, we talk about two concepts of protection and learning or protection and growth. It's like, am I in a state of protection or am I in a state of growing and and, and adopting new behavior? And when we're in protection, we do things that pay for discomfort later. It's like using a credit card. So if I do addiction, if I uh, emotionally eat, if I isolate myself from others and I, you know, uh, if I lie and I manipulate or I, you know, I'm passive and caretaking, these are all behaviors that protect me in the moment. So I don't have to feel uncomfortable. I don't have to feel uh, any sort of stretch. I get to defend myself. I get to put on the armor. Yeah. I'll pay for it later, right? My relationships will suffer later. I'll, I'll have to, you know, okay, I'll fuck up my life a little bit. And, but whatever, I'll clean that up later. It's, mm-hmm. it's charging the credit card 
paying the interest in another time versus behaviors of learning and growth are, I'm going to be uncomfortable right now. I'm going to set some boundaries. Not going to like it. It's going to feel uncomfortable as shit. I don't like it. But later on, my future self will thank me for this behavior, right? I'm going to go to the gym. I don't want to go to the gym. Of course you don't want to go to the gym. It's awful. Like you're sweating, you feel hot, heart palpitations. I'm pretty sure I'm allergic to working out and I'm going to do it anyways, (laughs) right? And and my future self will thank me for that, right? The discomfort is now. The benefit comes much, much later. Mm, I love that. It's powerful too. I mean, and it's like just that self-discipline and it's healthy self-discipline. Yeah. It's just like what a parent, a divine mother, divine father, however we want to phrase that would do with their child, right? Yeah. yeah. Hold them to the highest standard of who they know they see, not maybe what they're doing right now, but who they truly are in that way and like holding them up and that and, and seeing them in that light. Yes, it's powerful. I've really loved our conversation today, Josh. I just, yeah, it's been really great. And I would like to have you share, if you want, what you're talking about this retreat or the conference at the Peace. Yes. Um, And where people can reach you at if they want to work with you or, you know, do this conference or, you know, if you want to share a little bit about that. Absolutely. Yeah. Working with me individually, I'm I'm a therapist and coach. So that's just my name, uh, joshmagra.com. as far as the workshop that I do, it's called Personal Power and Prosperity. Everybody calls it P3. Um, the website's p3workshops.com. Right now, because of COVID, we're doing everything online. So our online program is called the Love Your Life course. Okay. Um, and you have one coming up soon or is it kind of like we a... We actually just had one this past weekend. So the next one's coming up, I believe in March. But the Perfect. schedule's the schedule's on the, uh, the website. Okay. And that's a weekend workshop. It's, uh, I think, anywhere between 12 to 14 hours total. So mm-hmm. we do uh, Saturday and Sunday and it's open to just about anybody. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. All right, well, we'll make sure we get the links and we'll put those below as well too. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, well, thank you, Josh. I really, like I said, I really enjoyed this conversation and... And this work is so, so needed. And so, yeah, I thank you for what you do and how you show up for yourself and for everybody that you work with and everybody in your life. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks everybody for listening. And if you want to get a hold of Josh, his uh, links and everything, his information will be below. And remember to, um, yeah, share this episode if it inspired you. Until next time. Thank you for joining me on today's show. To learn more about Activate Your Life podcast and my YouTube channel, just go to erinesser.com. Download the free gift at erinesser.com backslash healthy hyphen boundaries. That is all for now. We'll see you next week.